tell you just a brief update on just a little historical background on me. Um, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. I actually went to Virginia Tech and uh, got a um, management degree there. Virginia Tech is um, and it's a technical school. It's an engineering-heavy uh, school, right? There are other degrees, but we're most known for our engineering uh, programs probably. There are about 30,000 students there, and um, maybe close to half are engineering students, something like that, uh, science, technology, field, computers, all of that stuff. I was an engineer for a week and a half. I got in as an engineer. It was accepted early decision to Virginia Tech, as an engineer, got into my first class and r just ran as fast as I could. And so um, uh, sometimes they call engineering pre-business. And uh, it, was, it was for me pre-business. Uh, I became a business management major eventually um, and graduated. I was involved with Young Life there my last couple of years as a student led at a uh, high school uh, in the next town over. And... Um, enjoyed that, wanted to go into ministry full-time uh, from there, got a job as a youth pastor at an Episcopal uh, church in Richmond, back, back home, a conservative evangelical Episcopal church. It was a great place. It was a place I really learned to love the church and um, was there for five years. That's where I met Amy and we got married. Uh, we went to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis after that, 2004 to 2007. Uh, did college ministry at, through a church there and uh, loved that. And then left there and I worked as an assistant pastor uh, at a church in Raleigh, North Carolina uh, for almost four years before going to Blacksburg. And we've been back home uh, in Blacksburg now. Uh, we're starting our fifth year of ministry. I'll have a chance later in the service to tell you a little bit more about RUF. So I'll hopefully answer any questions if you're unfamiliar with Reformed University Fellowship then, but uh, I want to take the time now to just spend some time in the Word. Uh, our passage this morning is from the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 6, uh, verses 5 through 15, and it's about prayer. And I meet with 15 to 20 students a week, probably, during the school year as part of my pastoring, shepherding this community on campus. And um, uh, some majority of them, two-thirds maybe of the students that I meet with are, are believers. Some come from uh, strong Christian backgrounds. Some come from very nominal Christian backgrounds, uh, just very little sort of proximity to Christianity. And um, everyone I meet with, if I ask them, what does it mean to pray or how's your prayer life or something like that, I usually get a couple of responses. The first one is sort of this just very bored, well, prayer. Really? Prayer? Or it's the guilt, right? Most of the Christian kids just feel this, you know, this sort of this wave of guilt comes over their face, right? I was uh, hanging out with a campus minister at uh, General Assembly. Our General Assembly uh, was in Chattanooga this year, and I was with some RUF guys, and we were talking, and uh, he was telling me the story. He uses it a lot as a sermon illustration, and I think it's perfect. He was sick. He's got three kids. Um, he was sick, not like deathly ill, but not well enough to take care of the kids. So he's in his room. He kind of watched a movie and was sort of done with watching TV. And it was like, oh, okay, th maybe this is a gift, right? Maybe this time where I'm not feeling well and I have some time in my bed, like I could pray, right? I should, I should, that's a good thing to do when I'm not feeling well. I should pray. So let me pray. And so he started to pray. And minutes into his prayer, he imagined himself 
in a huge arena full of people, right? Like Taylor Swift crowd kind of people, just amazing crowd of people, right? And he's on stage, and he's getting everybody's, getting everybody excited, right? Stand up on your feet. Get up. Get up. And the, 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 cla- the, the smoke starts, the dry ice kind of smoke starts, and the floor kind of rises up, right? And he said, it's Beyonce. And she starts to sing, and it's my buddy Matt and Beyonce singing on stage to this just gigantic arena of people. And then it's sort of like you hear the record stop, right? And it's like, wait, I'm, I'm supposed to be praying. How did I five minutes ago start praying and then all of a sudden end up me and Beyonce on stage? And I'm like, that, that, that exact thing has never happened to me, but that thing has happened to me all the time, right? Would you, do you know that? That sense of like, oh, I've got 10 minutes in the car, right? So I'll turn the radio off and let me just pray. And it's the grocery list, maybe, or the 18 doctor's appointments that you need to make, or it's this crisis at work that's happening, or it's Beyonce, <laughs> on stage, right? Whatever, whatever it may be for you, right? Those are sort of what ha- we get bored, we get guilty, we get distracted. What, I guess I want to ask this morning, sort of, wh- why is that? Is there anything that if we could remember or know from this passage, is there anything that would help us free us from our boredom or our guilt or our distraction? And I think for me and for, for my students, and I think for for you all, the thing that has been most helpful for me has been to think about this question of access. What kind of access do we have to God? Because I think if we, if we can figure out that question in these terms, as Jesus talks about it here, it's going to change, I think, maybe in some small way, how we, how we pray. See, Jesus starts talking here in the Sermon on the Mount about how not to pray. He says, don't do this, and don't do this, and then he gives a section on how to pray. But he gives two sections on how not to pray. And I think several of those speak to sort of our access or the kind of approval we're seeking from God. See, these hypocrites, when they prayed, they weren't necessarily seeking the access or approval of God himself, but from others, right? They, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. They made approval of men more important than approval of God. It became the thing that they sought after, the thing that would give them their okayness, their approval. They have that. If they have the attention of others, if they have the approval of those around them, if they have this sort of access, if they have this sort of status, they've made it. Jesus says, don't, don't do that. Those people, if that's what they're seeking, they've gotten their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He says, the kind of access you have to me, the kind of approval you get from me as your father, 
is different than the kind of approval you get from the people when they, when they see you grandstanding or they see you pray or you work into your conversations, right, um, how spiritual you are, right? I do this a lot as a pastor, right? There are a lot of times I can tell people, oh, I've read this book. It's part of my job is to read, to know the scriptures better, and to be able to share those things. But there's a fine line between, like, humbly saying, this is really helpful, let me tell you about it, and saying, look at what I've been reading lately, right? Let me tell you about how spiritual I am. In my quiet time this morning, let me tell you, right? can do that with my wife if I'm not careful. Well, I read in my quiet time this morning that we, right, it's implied authority and that I'm, I'm craving such respect from her, right? I can do this all the time. And in subtle ways, I can seek the approval of others and miss that the approval that I have from God, the access I have to God my Father, is of a totally other sort. Then the Gentiles, right? Verse 7. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. They weren't necessarily seeking approval or gaining the satisfaction of having others' approval of them. They were, they were trying to get access and approval to God, but get it the wrong way, right? If they could just string together the right phrase or say it over and over again, if I could impress you in some way, if I could say it loud enough with the right diction, with the right vocabulary, if I could just figure out the magic combination, then you'll hear me. Right? Think about uh, 1 Kings 18, right? Elijah and the prophets of Baal, right, where... The prophets of Baal are crying out, and they're doing all sorts of things, and they start to cut, and they, they do all sorts of, all of these things to try to get, get their God's attention. Jesus says, don't, don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. It's a wholly other sort of approval and access. How, do we, how are we not to pray? We're not to use prayer to feed our approval addiction. We're not to use prayer as a tool to impress others or to impress God. And why not? God is certainly pleased by our prayers, right? He even uses our prayer. He has decided to use our prayers as a means to making things happen in this world. We believe very, very surely that prayer is effective, that it works, that God hears us and he responds. So if it's not meant for that purpose, what is it? Well, if we understand where our access to God the Father comes from, and where our approval comes from, prayer becomes this beautiful relational tool to deepen our relationship with the Father. See, prayer isn't just another means for us to show God we're worthy of his attention, to show God that we're worthy of his saving us, worthy of his redemption, worthy of his blood. And so often, 
think that's how we can use it. Prayer becomes this check, this box we check. All right, if I pray, that means God's going to reciprocate in some way, right? This is this, the great college student prayer, right? God, if you help me pass this test, I'll fill in the blank. I won't do this or that or whatever for six days or I'll, for a week. I'll read my Bible for a week becomes a bargaining chip and we'll use prayer in the same way god i'm going to pray every time i you know and they they just make all of these promises and they're great they're college students so they just tell me all that they're like i know this is silly but this is what i prayed to god you know i just prayed god would you like let this boy notice me and then here's what i'll do you know or i did this and why why didn't god answer these prayers In this passage, these short 10 verses, 11 verses, Jesus uses the word Father six times. So as you read it, it should be the echo that you hear over and over and over again. Don't be like the hypocrites, your Father. Don't be like the Gentiles, your Father, our Father in heaven. Right? And then he has this passage at the end about forgiveness where he repeats, your Father. Your father. Friends. The issue under your boredom or your guilt or your distractedness in prayer is your forgetfulness that God is your father. When I pray most in my life, it is when I am most acutely aware that God is my Father. And I can rest in all that that means for us. Now, in verse 9, Jesus prays. He gives us instructions. Pray then like this. Just a side note. I just think it's beautiful, and it's so telling of Jesus' patience with us that he would teach us to pray. Right? Isn't that comforting? He, he gets that we struggle here. He gets that we are weak here. He gets that we're prone to misuse prayer. And he says, let me, let me teach you. Very patiently, very humbly, he says, let, let me teach you to pray. And the first thing he prays, verse 9, our Father in heaven. Now, I don't know most of you. I don't know your earthly fathers, but I am convinced I've got a good dad. He loves Jesus, and he has loved us well, but he is far from perfect, right? Some of you may have a similar story. You've got a good dad who loves you well, but is far from perfect. Some of you have had terrible earthly fathers, and so here as Jesus says, pray like this, our Father. There can be a huge barrier for many of us in, in seeing past our earthly dad to our heavenly Father. And so I want, you to, I want you to work here with me to see the kindness, tenderness, the love 
the compassion, the patience, the intimacy that our earthly father may or may not have had with us present in our heavenly father. He is with us. He knows us. Go, hide in your house. Your father knows you, right? Go into the darkest place you can find, into the smallest cubbyhole in your house, and you can't get away from him. He knows you intimately, and he hears you. Not only does he hear you and know you, he knows what you need before you ask. We're with our uh, extended family. Uh, Amy's folks are here with us, and Amy's sister, they have two small girls, and um, in our room, uh, our youngest, our two-year-old, is in the pack-and-play. He's staying in our room. The, we actually, the, Our bedroom has AC. Um, I don't know if that's very common here, but it has been awesome this week. I don't know if the humidity is normal. Uh, it seems the lady in the, in the grocery store behind us was saying that this is really unique, all the humidity, right? Low pressure, all that. Um, I'm not a weatherman, but it it feels more like Virginia in some ways with the humidity um, than Hawaii. But um, we have the AC, so the AC is on. Uh, We have a noise machine, right, that's sort of cranked as loud as we can get it for our two-year-old so he can sleep. And we heard uh, last night one of our boys start to cough. And Amy and I both just sort of pop up. And we're like, wait, something's wrong. Like, that's not a normal... That's not a normal cough, Some, like that, something's up, right? So we go and check it. If your parents can hear that and know, or we can differentiate, right? Which kid was, okay, who was that? Which room? Where do we need to go? All right, we know exactly. If, if that's the intimacy and the knowledge that we have of our own kids, how much more, friends, does your heavenly father know and care for you? Your Father, your Heavenly Father, loves you. He has done everything, everything to see that you are redeemed, saved, adopted, forgiven, blessed. And Jesus is the proof of that. Jesus would die on a cross, live the life that you couldn't, and die in your place is proof, the guarantee that your heavenly Father loves you and would go to any length to care for you and to see that your needs are met. That's the kind of heavenly Father that we have. Now, we were talking with our kids the other day. What does it mean, our Father in heaven? Is that just, is that like his address? Right? Is that, where, is that where he, our Father in heaven, you know, that that's his location? And that's true, right? God is in heaven, but that is not just what Jesus means here. Our Father in heaven is actually a statement of his authority and the scope of his authority. It means that everything is under his control. See, it's beautiful And it's wonderful for us that our Heavenly Father 
is intimately acquainted with us. That he knows us, that we are known, that he is close to us. But is that enough? Like if he were just close to us, right? That's not enough. He is close to us and he's in control and all-powerful, right? And that's the, that's the best, that's the beauty of it. When I am at my best as an earthly father, right? I took Josiah, our eight-year-old, out uh, into Shark's Cove up on the North Shore. And we're swimming around and we got into some deeper water and he's a decent pool swimmer, but we haven't spent a ton of time at the ocean. He's still kind of getting his sea legs a little bit and um, I'm... I'm fairly competent in the water, and um, it, it was great that I was near him, right? But it also helps that I'm a good swimmer and was a lifeguard for a ton of years, right? Does that make sense? That I'm in control, uh, and if, if the, the tide comes in, you know, if the, if the wave comes in, right, that it matters that I'm close to him, but if I can't swim, my nearness to him is actually a danger. It's not a benefit, right? But, but the fact that I can swim, that I've actually had been the day before to the places that I was taking him. Like I went and sort of checked it out, made sure we could get around and all of that stuff. Then I took him out the next day. I had knowledge, right? This foreknowledge, this previous experience with what we were about to encounter. And I was in control. Now, it doesn't mean I'm incomplete, right? The illustration fails, right, at some levels. But it matters, not just that I was close to him, but that I had some authority over the situation. And I can say to him over and over again, Josiah, I love you. I will not let anything happen to you. Grab my arm. Hold on to me. I'm going to hold you, right? You swim the best you can. want to go see this cool thing. I, I went there yesterday. It's safe, right? Do you see the combination? It matters. Our Father in heaven means that God is as close to us as he can get, right? Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, living the life that we couldn't, dying in our place, rising to new life, right? Ascending to the Father, sending the Holy Spirit so that God is in us, as close as he could get, and all-powerful. And in control of everything. Our Father in heaven. So, so what is it this morning that you need most? Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a friendship to help cure your loneliness. Maybe it's a cure for cancer. Maybe it's a sadness that you need comfort. All of those things. All of those things. Your Father in heaven knows and hears and he will answer. He will come and comfort you. He will come and encourage you. He will remind you of the access that you have to him. Later on, we're going to have to skip just for the sake of time here a little bit. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. 
forgiveness is not a one-time thing with God. It's not as if you can just pray it once and it's over. Jesus here, in his prayer that he teaches us, shows us that confession is a normal practice in the Christian life. That we are agreeing that, God, you know me and you know I'm a gigantic mess. You know I can be a knucklehead. And you know I can be frustrating to my family. You know all of these things about me. And I confess that to you. And Jesus says, your father knows these things. And this humility that comes out of this practice of confession, it shouldn't lead us away from God. It should lead us closer to God. It should make us run to him. Right? This prayer, even in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a longing, a longing that God would make his reign, his rule that he has in heaven, right? 100% effective. God is completely in control in heaven. Everything that he wants to happen happens up there. Would that be true here, the way that it's true there? It's a longing. God, would that be true? Would your name be hallowed, right? Would your name be set apart and made famous? Would it be true here as it is up there? And then lastly, let's just close here on verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Nothing is too small for you to pray. Tim, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this quote, but Tim Keller has this great quote. He says, the only person brave enough to approach a king at 3 a.m. to ask for a glass of water is a child. The only person brave enough to approach a king at 3 a.m. and ask for a glass of water is a child. That has meant so much to me, even this last year, just as I have prayed for a ministry and prayed for our family and things going on in our world, that God cares, that he knows and he hears. And because I am his son, come and ask for a glass of water. I can ask for the smallest thing or the biggest thing, and he hears and he is moved to answer. And so, friends, if I can encourage you in any way this morning, it is simply to remind you that your Father, your Heavenly Father, loves you and cherishes you and longs to be in relationship with you. And prayer is not on the front end to get his attention to make him love you. Prayer is the relational tool on the back end that a child with full access to their Heavenly Father uses to grow and deepen that relationship. So if you have been a Christian for your whole life, pray that this morning you would know more fully what it means to be a child of your heavenly father and that you would more freely run to him that you would find your hope in him that you would find right all of your prayers going to him because he longs to answer you i was talking to a friend of mine is the campus minister at uh, duke 
Uh, he's the RUF campus minister at Duke. And a few years ago, maybe you even read of this. Read this. It got some national headlines uh, a little while ago. Um, this, it's called the Me Too campaign. You heard about this? Duke created a website. Um, you were able to anonymously post, sort of like Facebook, but it was anonymous, completely anonymous, and then people could kind of respond to, to your comment, right? And so people would write things like, I've never been so lonely. I got to Duke, and I immediately gained 30 pounds. And I don't know that I've ever been attractive to anyone anymore. Things like, all I want to do is transfer. And I can't transfer until the fall. And I don't know if I'm going to make it till then. These really deep longings of the soul, typed out and sent into the void that is the internet. And that can be sort of what prayer feels like in some ways, except it's, it's not at all like that. God would long for that kind of honesty from us, but he hears us. He hears us. It's not just sent out into this world, right, this sort of zeros and ones, whatever, to your heavenly father, to a person. And so if you're here this morning and you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus, if you're questioning who your heavenly father is and whether he loves you, let me tell you that prayer is not at all like the Me Too campaign. Your heavenly father hears you. He wants to be in a relationship with you where you can be that honest and known and loved and cared for. So I would encourage you to run to him, to find your hope in Jesus, who lived the life that you couldn't and died in your place, who is the guarantee that your father loves and cares for you. And with that, let me, let me pray. Lord God, Thank you for Jesus, for his patience with us, for his teaching us to pray. God, we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father, as near to us as it gets, your Holy Spirit indwelling us. And that you are our creator and our sustainer. You have authority and sovereignty, that you are in control of all things. God, I thank you for the access that we have. Not because we can pray really well or that we're great people. Lord, outside of us, we have a Redeemer, your Son, who lived for us and died for us. And because of him, we have complete and full access, adoption as sons and daughters. Would you this morning meet us? Would you remind us of your love for us? And God, would you use that to be the engine that moves us to prayer? How could we hear these things and not pray to you? God, 
I long to be closer to you. And so I pray that you would do that for all of us this morning. Thank you for your great love for us in Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.